Hey everybody, welcome to the Final Cut Podcast. I'm Grubby here with Stacy. Welcome to our very first episode. Holy shit, we're actually fucking doing this. <laughs> For the past two years, we've basically just been writing reviews and maybe like 10 people read them and they're like, hey, have you seen this movie? It's like, yeah, we wrote a review about it. And now you're going to listen to us. We're going to force you to listen to us. So uh, for our very first episode, we figured we would start off with a bang. We just got back on Wednesday from the Fantasia Festival in Montreal, Canada. So bonjour, bitches. We got like 15 movies to talk about, 15, 14, something like that. We, my ass hurts from sitting so much in these theater chairs, honestly. And uh, this is our very first time going. But we've been to Toronto International Film Fest. We've been to Sundance. Uh, we have a Cinepocalypse Fest, which is in Chicago, which is the closest for us. I've been to Fantastic Fest, which is pretty cool. But uh, we got back from Fantasia. We're going to talk about all the movies that we saw there. Saw quite a few good ones, a few world premieres, a few North American premieres. And then, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll kind of give you a rundown on, you know, like our top three you know, anything that we recommend coming out in the future. So how was your first experience with Fantasia? Over the other fests in general. Just however you I like that it is only genre movies, but I also like that it's only in the two theaters that are right across the street from each other. So it's super easy (laughs) to access. Whereas like Sundance, we have to travel between oh, two boy. towns that are like 45 minutes away. Oh, that's sad. And the theaters aren't very close either. You have to ride buses to and fro, or this we just walked. Yeah, it's literally like, what, point? Like, thousand feet, you just gotta walk. It's like, oh, I gotta go to the other theater. Or you literally could possibly stay in the same... There was like a few days where we just sat in that theater for like the entire time. And I think that's like a good thing and a bad thing. Like, it's good for us, but it's also bad because the movies deserve a bigger audience. Yeah, I mean, but that's just how they do it. I mean, we also saw a Studio Ghibli concert. That was amazing. It was the best. We, Whenever they would introduce the songs that they were playing for the Studio Ghibli orchestra that, for the for like the movies that the were... The conductor. Yeah. yeah. We don't know what he was saying. <laughs> if literally, that's what he was doing or not. Because he they, spoke in French. They were all just speaking French, and everybody's just like laughing, and we just kind of looked at he each other like... He seemed really funny, but we don't know why, because we couldn't understand anything. We just looked at each other, we're like, I don't get it. But the saxophone <laughs> player was dressed up like Kiki from Kiki's Delivery Service, so that was tight. There was a couple people that were dressed up, but they were a the part of the choir. The other person was dressed up as Sophie from House Moving Castle, yes. when she turns old lady. See, because I've never, I've never seen any Studio Ghibli movies. So, a loser. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I'm, a, I'm definitely a loser <laughs> because I've never seen a Studio Ghibli movie. I'm sorry. Maybe one day when I get enough time, I'll watch Spirited Away. Or what? <laughs> what are some other ones? I literally have no idea. How's Moving Castle? Every I know we own every single one on Blu-ray. But today we're going to be breaking down. 
the movies from that we saw. So get out a pen and paper because you're gonna want to keep these movies on your radar. Who the fuck uses pen and paper anymore to keep track of shit? Well, open the notes on your phone, make a mental note so that you'll remember these movies that we're gonna talk about. Alright. You ready to get this party started then? The first movie we saw was The Prey from writer-director Jimmy Henderson, who did Jailbreak in 2017, which also premiered at Fantasia. And with movies like The Raid movies, which are not just the best action movies from Asia, but the best action movies ever, martial arts movies, lots of people are trying to do stuff like that. Um, I don't think they're quite hitting the mark. The choreography isn't as good in the fight scenes, which is the same for The Prey. Yeah, the prey has more of a like a most dangerous game feel though, because it's like um, you got these guys that are coming in. Like um, it's basically like an unofficial adaption of the most dangerous game. The main character is an undercover cop. He gets arrested and goes to a prison where rich people come and pay to get to go hunting for the prisoners. They get released in the Cambodian jungle. Yeah, so it's like this, it's like this hostile feel where like you pay the money to go, like, cause all what they do is they tortured people, but like this is like you're actually going for a hunt to find humans and it's kind of just like a better version of the Hunger Games. <laughs> I don't think that's what the Hunger Games Hunger is about. Games. I don't know. We haven't seen the Hunger Games. Fuck so the just, Hunger Games movies. We don't know. But uh, yeah, so there the the fight scenes and the action was fast. Just the choreography wasn't there, but the camera shots and the sound and everything was really good. So yeah, we won't tell you how it ends. Probably everybody dies, but there's a good chance everybody dies. <laughs> Pretty good chance, especially if you're being hunted. All right, so just with the news from a couple of days ago, it looks like The Prey will get a North American release through Dark Star Pictures. It will get a limited theatrical release starting in October, followed by a VOD and DVD release. Uh, the second film we got to see was actually a showcase of nine genre shorts, and they were all directed by women filmmakers. It's a like a segment that Fantasia does called Born of Women. So this was Born of Woman 2019. Pretty much these could be all like your next, you know, your your, your best uh, genre film, like up and comers, basically. So we'll just talk about a couple of those that we really liked. Yeah, that, that, that's cool. I mean, um, do you want to talk about the first one that actually won the, the best? Was, oh, The Boogie Woman? Yeah, The Boogie Woman, which won the best short of the festival. So the director talked about how... You know, there's all these stories of the boogeyman. So she made one about the boogeywoman. Um, the star of it was a 15-year-old girl she actually found locally from where she's from, like just in a cafe. She saw her and invited her to star in her film, and she was really great. The one thing, too, was like she did all this filming in Tennessee, and like it it, it was very, like, I guess she would describe it. Would you describe it as like Holy Roller Town? <laughs> yeah. It was, yeah, they didn't know. She basically didn't tell them exactly what she was filming. It's like, hey, we're going to make a film about period blood. Yeah, the little girl starts her period. That's like how it opens up, which she said her mom thought was cool because all these little boys could learn about periods. I don't know. I learned about periods. I really love period blood. Yeah, how do you think we made our uh, promo video? <laughs> I think I still have some in my ear, though. 
Okay, so there was that. There's not much to say about it. It was about a boogie woman. I mean, it, there's it not one re- best short. It was very uh, the mood. There's not much you can really say about shorts because you only have like a eight to twelve, thirteen minute time span for it. It's it's just kind of like you make your mark and then hopefully, like a lot of times, sometimes uh, people will take those shorts and they'll adapt them into a longer, stretched out story, like a like a full length like greener grass yeah like if you've ever seen the i I actually i recommend seeing the greener grass short we saw it at sundance well the short we didn't see but we saw the full length feature which was hilarious fucking (laughs) i've never laughed so hard in my life uh for the record that will be out in october and i highly recommend seeing greener grass just just to come off a little a little bit off topic uh the first short in the series was called lily and it's um she made it because it's very it's relevant very to like the Me Too movement and everything. It was like an actress trying out for a part and the director, you know, starts to get creepy. And she was just making a point about how some assault is very subtle and, you know, people don't really consider it what it is. Uh, but I, there was a twist at the end where she like turns into like a demon and eats him, basically. Yeah, I think I saw this short. I think it played before something at Fantastic Fest and. You know, I mean, there's lots of stuff like that, I think. Yeah, but I so, think I like I was watching it, and I was just like, I think I've seen this before. And I thought it was very cool because of the whole, you know, the Me Too era and just how Harvey Weinstein's a fucking piece of shit. And did he go to prison yet? I hope yeah. so. Um, another one that we really liked, actually, this was my favorite one, and I think that this director is somebody who would probably make a really good full-length film was The Hitchhiker. And it was cool because it starred Liv Hewson, who plays Abby Hammond in the Santa Clarita Diet series. I didn't realize she was Australian, honestly. Yeah. So that was about a hitchhiker who was actually a vampire. Basically, that's it. Uh, Liv Hewson's character, she had like a, um, what you call it? Like oh, yeah. A, she was like dying of cancer. Yeah. And she didn't, like her friends didn't know it. And the vampire basically offered her, you know, I can help you there. Like I can turn you to a vampire. And it ended by her. Telling her to get back in the car, like hitchhiking. Then we saw Killer Man. Oh, <laughs> oh! Thank you, Liam Hemsworth, for making that wonderful, isn't it, romantic movie earlier oh, this God. year? Can no, we not? no, seriously. Can we please not? <laughs> Fuck that movie. This is basically Liam Hemsworth making up for "Isn't It Romantic?" Because God, that movie. I remember how we went and saw that movie. Let's you were, just not talk about it. No, we have to talk about it just a little bit because... So this, I love romantic comedies, right? <laughs> this movie is garbage. It was not romantic. It was not funny. I was very upset. Well, we I, I think that was the weekend. It was like, wasn't it like Valentine's Day weekend? And you were like... I didn't was, want to be in, in a depressed mood. Like, I wanted an upbeat movie. Ow. Fuck. You um, all right there? <laughs> hit my elbow my elbow yeah so it was valentine's day weekend and you're like well i don't want to watch a sad movie where people die and i was like well i guess we could go see well with amc stubs list i guess it's kind of like it was free it basically is free so we went and saw isn't it romantic on like a sunday matinee and like everybody in the theater i was like they were laughing and i was like this movie's fucking stupid yeah so i ended up being depressed anyway not worth it. We could have saw Cold Pursuit instead. Okay, off topic. 
Killer Man is about smuggling gold and laundering money. It's a super gritty movie. Um, it was shot in 16 millimeters, so it was it looked pretty good to me because yes, um, it was in New York. I don't really think that it was everything it was trying to be, but it's one of those good cop bad cop movies, I guess you could say. There's and, like, a twist. Everybody's trying it's to twist. <laughs> Everybody's trying to fuck someone over. But it's all about money, but it stars. But it's sweet because at but, the end. But it stars Liam Hemsworth and and uh, Emery Cohen, who you might remember from uh, Lords of Chaos, and he was also in that uh, Sweetheart movie that we saw at Sundance, where he plays the absolute worst boyfriend ever. And he's like, that was the same person. Yeah, I don't think it was. Yeah. Oh well, fuck that guy. <laughs> Yes, that was uh, directed by Malik Beta, who did Cash Only. Yeah, and Cash Only, uh, that played at Fantasia in 2015, so it was a good welcome back for him. Um, does that have a release date? Uh, yes, uh, Blue Fox Entertainment is actually putting it out August 30th. So mm-hmm. look for that. I, w- I would go see it again. You can go see it by yourself. Okay. Um, we also what else is new? <laughs> so we saw also... Satan Slaves, which is a 1982 Indonesian horror classic, uh, is a new 2K restoration. So that was cool, and that was the international premiere. Like, it has never played over. No, and plus we also saw the remake of that last year. At Cinepocalypse. Yeah. Which was decent, and it was on Shutter. It is on Shutter. I think, it still. currently is on Shutter. Yeah. And if you got five bucks a month to spare, I would get Shutter. Stop being a fucking cheap asshole. <laughs> Sorry, These but... These are tough times, okay? <laughs> You can find that money in your change, no, in like your change thing in your car. Um, we also then saw the Boxer's Omen, which was the first Canadian screening of it. It's a martial arts horror in 35 millimeter, directed by Kui Chi Hung, who is like a master Hong Kong master of horror and exploitation cinema. So then we saw a movie called Seder. Can I say something before you go on to the yeah. next movie? When I die, please bury me in a crocodile carcass. Yeah, see, uh, <laughs> the Boxer's Woman did it first midsummer. Ooh. Do you think Ari Aster got his idea from that? Maybe? I don't know. Maybe. That'd be pretty sick. So the next one we saw was called Seder, and that was written, directed, produced, shot, edited, pretty much everything by Jordan Graham. He did all of it himself. And it, it was super personal for him. It was based on his own family's experiences. Um, the main character, well, I wouldn't say it was the main character, but it's based around his grandmother, and she's in the film playing herself. So that's interesting. Um, it's about, like, emotional isolation and dysfunction and a super slow burn movie. And uh, I, I was a little sleepy. Yeah, grab it. <laughs> it's not the... It's not the best. I mean, it's in the middle of the woods and you're not really sure if this is like mental illness or some supernatural entities. It gives you that witch vibe because it's in deep in the forest and it's, it's that super slow burn. But I mean, to me, it was just... There's not much more to say than that. No, there really isn't because when it was over, I was just like, that was it? Okay. That was all? <laughs> I, I it wasn't it wasn't for me. I, like I said, I was a little bit sleepy. It wasn't it was like this. It was one of the slower movies for us. Yeah. Um. Uh. But we made up for it with a good woman is hard to find, which is a strong female adventure thriller by Abner Pastel, starring Sarah Bolger. 
She was the star of that movie called Emily, which you guys may have seen about the psychotic babysitter. Which babysitters psychotic? Uh, I don't think so. I mean, you're only saying this because you are a nurturing mother, so I don't like other people's are, kids. Are, but... you, are you being biased here? <laughs> or... I don't know, but she's an Irish actress who is really great. We loved her in this movie. Yeah, this movie was probably like one of my favorites from the fest. It was definitely on Top my three. It was definitely on my radar when we first started uh, look, looking through the the lineup, and I was like, "Oh, this this one this one seems pretty cool," just because it's you know like one of those female. I thought it was movies. more. I thought you like knew about it from something. No, I, I. Oh. Well, I saw the lineup and I saw this, and I was like, "Okay, well, let's see what else this guy has done." Um, Abner Pastel is also did the remake of Road Games, which we watched before, which I thought was pretty cool. So this movie is basically about, um, she's a single mother because her husband was recently murdered. She has a son and a daughter. Her son isn't speaking because he was present during the murder. So he's like mute, doesn't, he's like blocking that out in his mind. Um, but basically she's just trapped doing things to survive. She's always trying to do what's right. Um, but by the end, she finally takes control and is no longer a victim of circumstance. It's sick. Um, she gets to shop up a body. That was, that was, that was a pretty <laughs> sick part. That's the main image that you see that's out for the film, where she's all bloody. But the, but the thing about the movie, though, is when she has to dispose of the body, basically, like, in this scene, she is being assaulted... And then she, she stabs, stabs him. him. And instead of just calling the police to be like, hey, this man assaulted me. Can you please, like, come arrest him? Or if he's dead, just be like, just come get him. Like, you know? Right. Just, she does what everybody else does in movies and, like, freaks out and decides she needs to hide the body. So she, she fucking goes to the store and gets a saw and an axe and chops him into pieces. I really liked when the it's cashier fun. was like, you know, there's different ways you can get rid of them. You can just tell them to like, leave. <laughs> um, that's actually, though, not... I mean, it's relevant to the story, but it's not the basis of her revenge. No. Like, that wasn't her getting revenge. That was just, like, a... That was just a really cool that part. That was part of the story. <laughs> so mm. we don't want to really give that one away because it's great. And is there a release date for that? Uh, no, not yet. This was the quote-unquote world premiere wing, oh yeah wing, that's wink. right they're playing it at fright fest as the world premiere but obviously we saw it first it was a special early special presentation <laughs> so we were special <laughs> i um, like to be special you're very special thank you uh, then we saw a movie called one br which was super good surprisingly it wasn't surprising but i mean i didn't think it was going to be as good as it was no especially because like it's one of those movies that they, they don't give you that much information about not much information in the teaser trailer which i don't i think we posted it and it's just basically she hears a bunch of noises in her apartment like pipes banging and stuff like that and then she hears the smoke alarm go off and she finds her cat she finds her cat being baked so it's basically an apartment horror story which you know the director was like everybody has those like we could sit here forever and Everybody would have a oh, yeah. horror story about <laughs> an apartment. Um, the director and screenwriter's name is David Marmer. 
and the main actress's name is Nicole Bloom. Um, so surprisingly, though, it turned out to be like a cult film, right? Yeah. Like all the people of the apartment complex seemed like super nice. So basically, whenever anybody invites you to a, a an apartment complex barbecue, don't go. That's actually a red flag. So just fucking pack up and leave. Yeah. <laughs> uh, don't be nice to anybody in your apartment complex. Just try to keep to yourself. And we, but we both said though at the end that the end reminded us of the invitation because she is running down the street and realizes that like the alarms to all these apartments on the whole street are going off with like red lights. And that was kind of like the end of the invitation where he goes outside and he realizes like all these people are part of this like suicide pact. I mean, you would, the way to describe this movie would be like part sacrament because of the whole cult vibe and then the invitation due to. I really wouldn't really say sacrament. Well, I mean. That was like some weird. Well, they were all dying. They weren't. She wasn't. Nobody was supposed to die at this apartment complex. It just happened that way. I mean, cult films are. A dime a dozen these days. It's like everybody's making a new one. Mm-hmm. But I like the interesting take of this one because of the whole apartment complex. Like I said, if anybody it was invites, very normal. If anybody invites you to your barbecue, the barbecue, just pack up and leave. There's no distribution, no release date or anything like that. So it, it was like one of those sleeper hits for us at Fantasia. And I really hope that someone picks this up because I found this movie pretty enjoyable. Yeah, you guys will think it is fun. I liked it. it. It was a new concept on the culty vibe and everything. So the next movie we saw was a Filipino movie called Ode to Nothing by Dwayne Baltasar. Um, it's a super somber, slow burn film about loneliness, basically. Uh, this woman lives with her father in a house. Uh, they're late on their rent, and they're trying to keep their family on funeral home afloat. Um, and one day the remains of an elderly woman shows up and for companionship, she keeps this corpse. Um, cause it's an unclaimed. Did I already say that? I don't think so. Nobody claimed this body. So she keeps it and she is convinced that it's bringing her good luck because she starts getting business. And well, I don't think it was an unclaimed body. I thought like it two, was unclaimed. I thought two guys dropped it off and said, Right, like clearly there was like foul, foul play, play or like maybe they hit her with their car or something, I don't know. But nobody ever came to claim her though, like yeah, for a long yeah. time, a very long time. Like somebody eventually does. But, but it, just, it didn't show up like those two guys dropped it off and said, here's some money, you know nothing. <laughs> I don't really think that's relevant though to the story. It, it kind of is. It was just how she got there. There was no other way to get there without her being unclaimed, you know. Yeah, but it's just like, hey, maybe we accidentally hit her with a car. Right, so so she keeps this body, and her and her dad both talk to it. Um, so she obviously they're kind of it. mental. Yeah, she sleeps with it in bed <laughs> because she's afraid of the dark. Um, she's basically treating her like her mother, and her dad treats the corpse like his wife who left them. I think I don't think she's dead. I think she left them. Would um, you sleep next to my dead body? I don't know. You'd get pretty smelly. It was clearly like stench. The stench was terrible there. Yeah, but the you house, think the landowner comes, there's flies everywhere. Yeah, but if you work in a funeral home, like true, an embalming true. room, it's probably not the greatest smell. So that movie's pretty sad. I'm mean, like, it's kind of sweet how they have, I mean, 
they become friends with this corpse and it's sweet, but also obviously weird. And they obviously are mentally ill. Would you say it's a more somber tale of a weekend at Bernie's? Mm, no. <laughs> it's just very sad and they about loneliness. They didn't take the body. Being no isolated and poor. No. Um, at the end, I mean, they lose their house because they can't pay for it and they just drive away. Uh, then we saw Eight, which is a South African folklore core, which there's a lot of those now. Not South African, but like full core um, by Harold Holscher. Uh, what do you what do you think of that? What did you think of that? I thought it was OK. I mean, it wasn't like anything mind blowing to me, but because, you know, like folklore is now like also along with the cult trend. Folklore is also like a big trend to come. So like movies like The Witch and it didn't look like that though it really to me seemed like a movie from like 2000 like early 2000s it was weird uh but it also uh, i feel like leaned a lot on like some of the jump scares why did the main guy remind me of the main guy from hebrews creepers (laughs) like his whole outfit and persona (laughs) oh the guy with the hat yeah yeah the 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 main i guess you would call him villain in this he his his character the main guy his character is very complicated like he he wasn't the villain he was the villain but you know he lost his wife and daughter in a fire and he begs i don't know if it's satan or like some evil entity for his daughter back and so like he gets his daughter's body back and she's alive technically but she doesn't have a soul like she feeds off human souls and that's basically what it's based around um, but there's a little girl in the movie named Kita Luna and she was so great. Like I, I'm super into all these like young actresses. They're like, that just own the show. Like she was really good. Yeah. I think the, the thing that made that movie was, um, the, the girl, the girl that played Mary and the guy, the main, uh, uh, the guy that played Lazarus, uh, mm-hmm. uh, his his name's not coming to me right now. Their Why? relationship was very sweet, even though like he ended up taking her soul, basically, for his own daughter's sake. You know, I'm a ginger, and I don't really have a soul anyways. Yes, yeah. that's true. Damn. <laughs> I sold it for this podcast. Yes. <laughs> so anyway, like, yeah, the movie had good visuals and sound, but it's just a little inconsistent in the story, I feel like. Um, But then we saw The Father's Shadow by Gabriella Almeida. So this is a movie about like, it was like a little bit mystery, monsters and drama. It's one of those movies about grief and loss. A nine-year-old girl is like experimenting with like sorcery basically to bring back her dead mother. Thanks to her aunt, who was also kind of like in that witchcraft vibe because she would have all these candles and like say all these these, uh, seances and whatnot. So you can thank your aunt. She's probably into witchcraft. Yeah, this was a slow burning movie too, but um the main girl, Nina, we looked up this name too. <laughs> Deerose, Nina. She actually won Best Actress of all of Fantasia. So and she didn't have that much dialogue in this movie, so you know that she did like a really great job portraying this character. No, but she had a really good taste in movies that she was watching in the movie. Like she was watching what Night of the Living Dead. Yeah, she was at home a lot, so she would sit at home and watch like old B horror movies. Yeah, she was watching she, Night of the Living Dead was one. Didn't you say Pet Cemetery? Was Pet Cemetery, the old one, not that new. One. That was kind of foreshadowing, though, also of how she like brought back her parents from the dead, even though they weren't evil. But 
No. That was that movie. Uh, then we saw 15 Minutes of War, which was basically just a suspense builder where like 21 school children are held hostage on a bus by terrorists in an African country. Yeah, this was something that happened in uh, like, what was it? 1976. In so this is based on a true story. Djibouti? Yeah. Where, it was uh, the last French colony. Yeah, so basically these two, like, what was it? Four guys got on a bus with a, a kid's school bus and said, take us to the Somalia border. Because and they, they wanted, wanted all their people to be like free. Yeah, and it had it stars uh, Olga Karolinko, who was uh, the Bond girl from Quantum of Solace. And I mean, it's it's just basically a straightforward historical event put in a movie. But it was good. Yeah, I mean, it, it had the suspense. It had some weird comedic spots to it, but I right, mean, you get the camaraderie of like the soldiers that are trying to save the day. That whole thing. Yeah, because they had like five five mercenary guys come in and say, "Hey, this is the plan. This is how it's going to go. Let's get this done. Not get any children killed." End of story. So in real life, two children died. Correct? Yes, two children died. There was in the thirty. Movie, one girl dies, and it's pretty sad. They all cry. The true story is there was. 30 kids on the bus and two children died. And other than that, I think, I think they got the story down to a T almost. Mm -hmm. So we're on to our last two movies of the fest and they were the most anticipated and biggest movies of the week for us. Would you say these would be our main event? Yes, this is our main event. Um, they both came out of South by Southwest with rave reviews. The first one is Extraordinary, which is like a bizarre Irish Ghostbusters movie. Super, super funny. Um, directed by Mike Ahern and Enda Lauman. Uh, it's starring Maeve Higgins, who plays Rose, and Barry Ward, who plays Martin. Martin, Martin. Martin, Martin. So um, basically, Rose is a driving instructor. She has supernatural talents, though, and she tries to ignore them. Uh, because her dad died as a result of one of their supernatural cases that they work together on. So she feels super guilty about it and doesn't want to have anything to do with it anymore, basically. Like, that was his life's work, her dad. He and, had his own, like, TV show, too. Yeah, and she like he, like, left it with her, but um, she's a driving instructor because of all that. And she meets Martin Martin because Martin Martin... And his daughter are being haunted by his deceased wife, Bonnie. Funny. The haunting is hilarious. Like, it's not scary whatsoever. I like the part where um, the dog uh, is, like, rubbing his butt on the carpet, you know. And it, 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 it clearly has worms. And, like, they're just oblivious to it. And then, like, he's making toast at the same time. And, and in the toast, the bird, like, it's burnt into the toast. It says dog has worms and that's like bonnie <laughs> telling him that the dog has worms basically bonnie is like trying to keep tabs on him but also like basically calling him a fucking moron because like he would come in to like his bedroom and like the clothes would be laid out for him to go to work yeah and it'd be the same his, yeah. outfit every single day and then he would try to go change like his outfit and she would just open the door into his face or something right like that. So in the midst of her going to be working on his wife's case, which she doesn't want to do, she's like, I'm not cut out for this kind of work. Um, the bad guy who's played by Will Forte, he's a Satanist in the movie, and he's also actually a Satanist in real life. Hell Satan. <laughs> um, he 
is a what a singer he's, he a, like, he's a, like a rock star he had like a one-hit wonder yeah and so he wants to be good again so to do that he has to sacrifice a virgin to satan Where, was it was it like a christian rock group or something like i don't that? know i it don't was really very remember funny. he like plays the keyboard and stuff like very <laughs> 80s but basically he is trying to find a way back into the music industry so he has to sacrifice a virgin for it so to find a virgin, he has this thing called a willy stick. Well, that's what his like wife calls it, the willy stick. Get the willy stick out. And it literally has a dick on the end of it. It's like a wooden like shaft. His wife played by Claudia uh, O'Doherty, which she does a great job at playing like this nagging wife. Yeah, she's a bitch. And she dies and everybody in the audience cheered. It was great. Basically, she was just like one of those. It's like, you get this job done because I want all the money and blah, 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 yeah, blah. Yeah, like, yeah. So he slits her throat because he gets sick of her. And everybody else is sick of her, too. So it was great. Everybody cheered. I think that was the only part everybody cheered at. I, well, besides the ending, yeah, I, yeah. I believe so. So anyway, um, it comes to be that Martin Martin's daughter is the virgin that they want to sacrifice. So to save his daughter, they have to get ectoplasma from seven different ghosts and by doing that martin martin has to be possessed by each one and then rose has to do like a little like spell and then he barfs up this stuff that looks like semen into a jar <laughs> seven times the funny thing is um with the q a with uh Maeve higgins she uh is describing how they made the ectoplasma and what she said the makeup the makeup artists were the one that actually like came up with the and they had said they tried out like different colors but then they just went with like clear, and that's why it, it looks like, like semen. <laughs> it looks like like egg whites or something. And it was like sugar. They had like it was glue. Like glue. In it. They were like, oh yeah, just just try this because it tastes better. And they were like, no, this is pretty. No, awful. they said it, they said it would. It should like it's better that it tastes bad because then like it looks more real when you're throwing it up that it's nasty. Good do thing. It. <laughs> yeah. So at the end, there, you know, Will Forte's character has them in his like mansion. And he's summoned, like, the hole where the demons come out. And this, like, big, like, sheeted ghost, which was actually, like, a real guy. A I guy thought it was stilts, CGI, I yeah. It was a guy on stilts. And yeah, and it was his real voice, too, that yeah. he was using. Um, he's like, you can't fool me. Like, that girl's not a virgin. And, and everybody so, just looks at the daughter. And yeah. they're just like, what? You're not a virgin? And he's like, he looks over at uh, at Rose. And he's like, I'll take, I'll take her. And everybody's just like, you're a virgin? Like. She's like, like no, of course not. <laughs> She's like, it. She was like that one guy I had sex with, and she was like, and the, and then the demon goes, the tip doesn't count. <laughs> he was like, that was just the tip, or something like that. Yeah. So basically, the whole time the stick was actually pointing at her, and so. She's like being sucked towards this demon hole, and the only way to save her is for her to not be a virgin. So Martin, Martin, and her have to fuck right there, right Martin, then and Martin, there. Martin, Martin knows he. He's got to get his dick wet. Oh, and it's so funny because he's still like partially possessed by his wife that they had to like get the ectoplasma from. Yeah. So like they finish having sex and she's like, I get to tell everybody my first time was a threesome. So <laughs> yeah. So that one is great. And don't you have a release date for that? Yeah. Um, Cranked Up Films recently uh, said that uh, Good Deed Entertainment will be putting it out in the fall for a theatrical release in 2019. So hopefully, well, hopefully you guys will get a chance to see it and laugh your ass off just like we did, because I found this movie to be so funny. 
and it, it's kind it kind of did to me for like what what we do in the shadows did for vampires this is what like i, I compared it to like the, the ghost version of it right like paranormal stuff just that the the main the main characters aren't the ghosts they're the people that brings us to our last movie daniel isn't real by adam egypt mortimer completely different mood than the last movie we talked about um this was the one that I most anticipated for the fest because it was the one I'd like the only one I'd heard about prior to. Yeah. Um, one of the things that brought me to this movie too, was that it was, uh, the production company was Spectre Vision who also worked on Mandy. So a lot of those bright ultraviolet colors that were in Mandy were also in this film and intertwined. And that that's just what, uh, really brought me to this. Yeah. And it combines those colors and like this, like, cosmic type horror with and and body horror this is some of the best body horror i've seen like in recent times besides the void oh man yeah um and it combines that with like a very real world of like trauma and mental illness and stuff so the movie starts out with our main character luke as a little child and his parents don't get along very well um and one night they're fighting and he runs out of the house and he comes upon like a local cafe that just had like a really bad shooting and he sees a dead body and that's super traumatic for him. And at that moment, Daniel appears and Daniel is who we think is an imaginary friend at the time. And it seems super innocent and cute. Like he's just playing, they have sword fights and all that kind of stuff. But one day he convinces Luke to poison his mom's smoothie with like all of her, a whole bottle of her medication. Um, and once that happens, she has Luke, lock Daniel up in his grandmother's old dollhouse and he disappears. And then it fast forward to Luke college age played by Miles Robbins. And he is not well. Also like mental illness runs in the family. His mom um, has been on medication. I think she's, she's also been admitted before. And um, so he sees a therapist at school and one day he tells his therapist about his imaginary friend and his therapist convinces him to let his imaginary imagination take over. And with that, he he goes to his mom's house and unlocks the dollhouse and Daniel's back. Daniel's back in like his uh, like his age. Play, and he's also played by uh, Patrick Schwarzenegger. And he was in Scout's Guide. Yeah, he was. I, I forgot about that. Yeah. So he's back. His imaginary friend is back. Um, he uh, is the total opposite of Luke. He's a complete, like, douchebag, wanting to live, like, the college life of going to parties and hooking up with girls and all that. Um, one day, Luke runs into a girl named Cassie, meets a girl named Cassie. Who's played by Sasha Lane. Yeah. Um, and he really, he really digs her, you can tell. But, uh, Daniel convinces him to go to a party, gets him drunk, basically. And he makes out with some girl named Sophie. Um, and so then one day, Luke, Daniel, Sophie, and Sophie's friend, and Luke's roommate, go down to, like, the steam tunnels of the school, basically. Yeah, they're like uh, these secret tunnels underneath the local college that they go to. And, you know, it's just like where 
teenage like hookup basically there's like couches down there yeah it's basically just like one big hookup spot because they'll be they'll be like oh has anybody been in this room and oh maybe i can get a drink in here and stuff like that it's just like we're it's weird college people just go to rome it's dirty (laughs) so um luke daniel and sophie are left alone together of course like nobody can see daniel he's an imaginary friend and Daniel really wants Luke to hook up with Sophie and Luke is like, I'm not into this. Like, I don't want to do this because he has feelings for Cassie. And this is the first time you see like the whole body horror element because Daniel's like, here, just let me take over. Let me do it. And they like sort of like morph and Daniel like goes inside Luke's body basically. And like fucks the shit out of Sophie. It's like really disturbing. Um, but then the uh, at once 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 that whole scene is done, it's like the the roommate comes back and he's like, "What were they like? Hey, let's go!" Like I'm not sure why, but he beat but Daniel beats the shit out of him, like bashes his head into the wall, and like does Daniel get suspended? Daniel gets kicked out of school. Yeah, and like not Sophie, Daniel, but, um, Luke gets kicked, Luke out, gets of kicked out of school. And Sophie wants nothing to do with him. Everybody thinks he's crazy, besides Cassie, because she doesn't go to that school. No, she's just like she's one like of those, a freelance artist. Yeah, I think. she she does her own like art projects. So it's really cool. And actually, the director talked about this. He said it was like important to him to put in like after that like super like disturbing sex scene. Um, Luke, there's a sex scene between Luke and Cassie, and there's like this very subtle consent, like where he like asks if she minds if um he takes like her pants down. And it's just, like, super subtle, but it's, like, super important, he said, especially in horror, where, like, sex is always super violent and stuff. Well, it's, it's another thing, too, where, like, in some movies where sex is kind of just, like, kind of like a filler scene. And in this, uh, he uses the sex scenes as a, uh, a move of progression right. in the films instead of just, like, hey, this is going to be two minutes of just filler. Here's a sex scene. And, in, like, in, in this case, it's it's more of a progression of the story yeah and so right as it goes on like daniel is sort of taking over more and more like daniel will wake up and realize that like luke has been in his body like texting from his phone and stuff like that he, he was sending out the news <laughs> right <laughs> weird pictures and like cassie catches on and realizes that like something's not right towards the end and there's like sort of a standoff between daniel and luke i mean Daniel pretty much kind of plays like that, um, like that, like that bad conscience. He's like, at first he was like helping him, like, you know, do good in school and like kind of like kind of, kind of making him social towards girls and whatnot. But then afterwards, I think it was like the jealousy card came in. He's like, you know, he wanted people to want him more. Yeah. So at this point, you're probably not really sure whether Daniel is an imaginary friend or some other kind of evil thing that's able to take over Luke's body. Um, We know, but we're not going to tell you. We're going to let you find that out. And we're not going to tell you how it ends either. Is it like, is it your bad guardian angel like telling you to do all this shit? And it's like, no, I don't want to. Oh, it'll be fine. It'll be fine. Or like, is it a, a demonic entity inside him? Or is it just his schizophrenia taking over? But you're going to have to wait for December 6th for this whole episode because we don't want to spoil it because this movie was really good. And it was probably my favorite out of 
everything we saw at Fantasia. So uh, this movie was recently, uh, I think in the past week, it was picked up uh, by Samuel Goldwyn Films and Shudder. And it's going to have a limited theatrical release starting December 6th. And then it's going to be on Shudder at a later date. So was it like five months? You got to wait to see this film? It's a long fucking time. Yeah. But let me tell you, it's worth the wait. Also wanted to add real quick that uh, Daniel Isn't Real is also based upon a book written by Brian DeLieu. Sorry if I pronounced that wrong. Uh, the book is called In This Way I Was Saved. He also helped co-write this movie with Adam E. T. Mortimer. And what was what was really interesting about the book over the movie is that the book was written from Daniel's point of view. Yeah, and he didn't really want to, like take the take the novel and just like put it into movie form like he wanted to change it up a little bit so like he way. let it be adams yeah um so that's it for our fantasia movies uh we wanted to talk briefly since uh while we were on vacation we saw that there was the announcement for the toronto international film fest which we've been to in the past couple of years uh we saw some really good films over like we saw the ritual two years ago I think that's our favorite fest overall. I mean, if you've ever been to a film festival, or if you haven't, I'm sorry, um, Toronto is probably the best. Their Midnight Madness program is just absolutely wild. People will go nuts even during the commercials for, like, makeup. <laughs> and it's, it's literally, like, an experience that I recommend for everybody. But uh, they haven't announced the actual Midnight Madness program yet. That'll probably come out in, like, a couple weeks. So, so far they've announced five movies that are like, you know, like the horror thriller genre stuff that we'll cover here in the near future. Uh, first up is the Palme d'Or winner, Parasite, which we're really excited for. And Robert Eggers' The Lighthouse. I'm really excited for that. Robert Pattinson and Willem Dafoe just going nuts in a lighthouse and someone <laughs> fucks a mermaid, I think. <laughs> That's just what I heard out of cans. Uh, really excited about also Knives Out. Which yes, Chris Evans. Chris Evans, America's Tell ass. everybody eat shit. Like, <laughs> you eat shit. Uh, we also got Todd Phillips, the Joker. How do you feel about the Joker uh, playing Toronto? I mean, it's a DC movie. But, but they're trying to make it look like an indie film. Yeah, but... They say that they're not having the Joker based off of any of the comic books. So it's just like this standalone. Don't get me wrong. Joaquin Phoenix will kill it. But I'm not too fond of the Joker being in it. But if you get a chance to see it, I guess see it. And that's pretty much about it for Toronto that's in the genre horror type uh, category. So... We look forward to the announcement in two weeks. We'll also probably get a fantastic fest announcement. So that's it for our first episode. Thanks so much for listening, and we hope you listen to our next episode, which will be about Jennifer Kent's new movie. Jennifer Kent's the director of Babadook. Babadook. (laughs) Anyway, her her new film is called The Nightingale. Super fucking brutal movie. Like People walked out of it. At Sundance. Remember that really awkward question that the guy asked during the Q and A? Yeah, we'll talk about that in our next episode. The awkward question. So make sure that you tune in next time. Yeah, we'll uh, 
we'll get that episode to you. Hopefully we'll get a chance to rewatch it next weekend. But if not, we're still going to talk about it because it was probably one of the best movies that we've seen this year in the horror thriller genre. And uh, you can follow us on Twitter at Final Cut Right. And you can follow us on Instagram at Final Cut Film Reviews. Uh, thanks. See you at the movies. Thank you.